And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy weather, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Praise be to God. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kaylee. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be back with you. Uh, for those of you who are new, a warm welcome to you. And we are walking through Matthew's gospel, looking at the life of Jesus. And today's passage, it highlights this theme of seeing but not seeing. Okay, seeing but not seeing. So in my home, there's this Groundhog Day-like event that takes place sometimes monthly, sometimes multiple times in a day. And it goes something like this. I walk into the kitchen, I open the fridge, and then no matter where Kelsey is in the house, I just yell, Kelsey, you know, where's that piece of chocolate cake that our friend gave us? She goes, uh, it's probably the second shelf from the top, like probably right about eye level. And then suddenly I see it. It was right in front of my face, but it somehow didn't manifest until Kelsey spoke it into being. It happens all the time, and my poor wife, she's passed this along, uh, I've passed this along to my sons. So it's become this thing where, like, one of the things Kelsey says most often in our house, whether it's we're looking for shoes or something in the pantry, is just use your eyeballs. Use your eyeballs. She just says it over. And, and I don't know, like, just in personal anecdotes, I've found it tends to be the husband's for some reason that tends to struggle with this. I don't know. But the point is, is you can have something right in front of your face. You see it, but you don't see it. So you miss it entirely. And what we see here in this passage is you have a group of religious leaders. Jesus is right in front of their face, and they see him, but they don't see him. And so therefore, they miss him. And so Jesus uses this exchange he has with him and the religious leaders to then teach his disciples a lesson. And as he teaches his disciples this lesson, we'll get some key takeaways for our lives as well when it comes to how we can miss Jesus, even though he's right in front of our faces, even if you've been following him for a long time. Okay, so we'll look at this passage under these three points. Uh, Number one, the religious leaders miss Jesus. Number two, we miss Jesus. And number three, what's the point of all this? Like, what's the point of looking at this idea of missing Jesus, right? So number one, the religious leaders miss Jesus. Number two, we miss Jesus. And then number three, what's, what's the point of all this? Why does it really matter? Okay, so first number one, the religious leaders miss Jesus. So in verses one through four, you have the Pharisees and Sadducees, they approach Jesus, and 
they are the- not politically, but theologically speaking, they're two religious sects, and they're more or less akin to conservative fundamentalists, that would be the Pharisees, and progressives, that would be the Sadducees, right? These two groups rarely agree on anything. But in this case, they do agree on something, and that's their hatred of Jesus. So they team up together, they approach Jesus, and they say, you're claiming to be God in Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Show us a sign. Prove it. Now, have we had this conversation before? Yes, we've had this conversation before. Has Jesus showed them signs before? For three years, he's been showing them signs through miracles and his teachings and all of the above. And so how does Jesus answer them? In verse 2, he gives a farming metaphor. He knows that the Pharisees and Sadducees, like, they, they live in an agrarian culture, so they know how to do this stuff. And he says, in verse 2, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In other words, you guys know how to look at the sky and know what the weather's going to do. You can do farming. That's hard. It takes intelligence, and yet you're clueless about me, who's been showing you proofs for three years. And then he says in verse 4, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Now, back in chapter 12, we looked at this idea, so we're not going to cover it in detail again. We spent a fair amount of time on it, but in short, when Jesus says all you get is the sign of Jonah, he's referring to himself. Okay, so he's saying, you have me, my teaching, my death, my, my resurrection. That should be enough to show you that I am who I say I am. And, and then he leaves, right? So at the end there, he left them and departed. And what Jesus picks up on here is it's not about the evidence. Okay, and as much as they're making it about an intellectual objection to himself, he knows that at root, it's a, it's a, pride issue. It's a moral issue. There's some kind of inner darkness in their heart, and that's why they're rejecting him. And when I was in Kenya this past summer, uh, the the leader of the organization we're with, Renewal Project Africa, his name is Gideon, I was with him, and he's talking to this fellow there who's not a believer, and this guy was asking a lot of questions about Christianity. He had all these objections, and they were, they were good questions. But the guy, he starts to get, you know, all ramped up and fired up. And finally, Gideon, he, he pushes pause in the conversation. He says, hey, man, maybe to save ourselves some time, if right now I were able to give you undeniable proof that Jesus raised from the dead and, Christ, and Christianity is true, would you follow Jesus and give him, make him Lord of your life? And the guy goes, Nah, no, I wouldn't. And I, like, I say this not to mock him, but to give him credit for honesty. Because, and then essentially what this guy is saying is, ultimately it's not about what is proven to me or not. It's just, I want to do what I want to do. Right? And I want to believe what I want to believe. And so that's what Jesus picks up here on the Pharisees. It's, well, are there serious intellectual questions to be asked of him in Christianity? Yes. But Jesus knows at bottom, for the most part, in our hearts, it comes down to a a heart issue. Okay, do we actually want to make him Lord of our life and trust him? And so he leaves. Like, is is there like, you know, show us a sign, prove it. Jesus doesn't ramp it up and go, okay, you know, watch this. He just, he knows it's, it's fruitless. And so he walks out, and it's kind of eerie because Jesus is showing what he does is he walks up to, he approaches a person or he walks into a room he reveals himself, and then if they reject him, he leaves the room, and he lets the room become what it will become without his presence there. 
And the same is true for your and my life today. When you reject Jesus, like in a way, his judgment can be just letting you become what you are going to become without his presence in your life. Because, I mean, he is God and will be God whether we like it or not. And so as we look at this, as we see the religious leaders reject Jesus, just a question for you whether you're checking out the faith or whether you're a Christian is just to be refreshingly honest and ask yourself, how much of my relationship with God or potential relationship with God is dictated by just doing what I want to do and believing what I want to believe about reality and about God? Okay, so that's number one. We see the religious leaders miss Jesus, this blindness that comes from just not wanting to see what's clearly right in front of you. So point two, not just the religious leaders, but we miss Jesus. So let's move on to this section in verse 5 through 12. And the disciples and Jesus, they get into a boat, they reach the other side, and the disciples forgot to bring bread. So it's probably around lunch hour, they, they forgot to pack food. And so they're talking about this, and Jesus says to them in verse 6, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 7, And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. The sense of this is, they're like, Oh no, we forgot to pack lunch, and Jesus is mad about it. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not talking about, I don't care if you brought lunch or not. He says, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and and the Pharisees. And so he's using a metaphor here, uh, talking about the yeast of these teachers. And I get to witness and experience the glory of yeast every single Sunday afternoon when Kelsey makes homemade pizza in our home. And so, right, you put just a little bit of yeast in the dough, and then after a little while, it, it permeates the entire dough, making it rise. And Jesus' point here is he's saying what's happening in the Pharisees is they have total blindness. They don't see me at all. But with you guys, I can tell what's fully consumed, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's in you in seed form. And if you're not careful, that can overtake your entire life as well, just like yeast overtakes an entire right um, X amount of dough. And so the point here is, I mean, the disciples, they've been close, intimate with Jesus for many years now, and yet they're, they're still missing him, and Jesus doesn't want it to progress. And so for us, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, there are so many ways where we can miss him in the day-to-day of our lives. And so let's look at what are some ways that we miss Jesus using the examples that we see right here in the passage. And the first thing we see is you can boil it down to sensationalism. Sensationalism. So the religious teachers, they come to Jesus and they say, you know, show me a sign. Give me something so electric that I can't help but be amazed. In other words, they want the experience of Jesus, the thrills of Jesus, but they don't want Jesus. And for us, we have to ask the question, do you worship God or do you just worship the experience of God. See, there's, there's a difference. We're actually wanting him for who he is or wanting the sensations, the thrills, the good vibes that he may give you. And so uh, what are some diagnostic questions that we can ask on do we want God or just the experience of God? When you're reading scripture and it doesn't seem to be doing anything for you, you keep reading when you want God. When you come to worship service and you don't get the experience you want, you keep coming. When God doesn't seem to be coming through for you, when you don't feel as connected to God, you keep praying. Okay, so these are ways we can tell, do I actually want Christ or just the sensations, 
we, we can actually worship like the sensations he gives us rather than his person. And we intuit this in human relationships. So one of my closest friends, we've known each other for years, and there was this evening where we went to a concert together, and it was, I mean, to this day, it was one of the, the best, just the, one of the best nights of our lives. You know, from before the concert to during to after, just one of those evenings where heaven and earth are intersecting, you know, kind of evenings. And what would have happened if after that evening, I meet him for coffee the next week, which happened and, and continues to happen, and the conversation, it's just kind of like not really going anywhere. He's kind of irritating me a little bit. And I stop and I go, hey, you know what, dude? This feels kind of dull. I think I'm just going to pull back from our relationship. It's like, <laughs> well, okay, okay now, now what is it? Do I want him or do I just want the experiences that I get when I'm with him? And we can do the same thing with God. So this is the first way we can miss Jesus is we just want the experiences and the good feels he gives us, not actually wanting him. Hey, number two. How do we miss Jesus? You can say we believe something to the effect of Jesus helps others, but not me. Jesus helps others, but not me. How do we see this in the passage? Well, the disciples, they forget to bring food, and they're panicking. Like, oh my gosh, we forgot to bring bread. What are we going to do? And Jesus says in verse 9, Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? So there was just the feeding of the 4,000. We didn't read it, but so we had the feeding of the 5,000, which we looked at, and then right before this was a feeding of the 4,000. And he's saying, guys, I fed a group of 5,000. I fed a group of 4,000. I think I can handle a group of 12 of you goons. And yet you're panicking. You're worried that you're going to go without food. And what's happening here? The disciples at this point in their ministry, they've gone on missions trips. They have taught other people about Jesus. They help Jesus feed the crowd. But now when it comes to a need and a fear they have, they're having difficulty trusting him personally. And so a way you know you may be missing Jesus is when you may be able to teach other people about the Bible or about God, or you may know a lot of things about God, but when it comes to the feelings of overwhelm and your anxieties and hurts, you have a really hard time inviting Christ into your stuff. And so as an example, when our church first planted, uh, I never helped plant a church before, and most of my time post-college before we planted was time as a strength and conditioning coach, so I could tell you a lot about how the human body moves. Still was learning a lot about how churches function and how to, how to be a pastor. And so what happened is every Sunday I would walk up and I would preach about the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the trustworthiness of God. But then somebody in the church would have a crisis of faith. And I meet with them, and my one 75-minute conversation with them wouldn't fix them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I shouldn't be a pastor anymore. Or the Khan family, they have five children, which was like 50% of our congregation at the time. And so if they're on vacation, I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to cancel service. Or somebody, somebody gets upset about something. By the way, you guys should take vacations. <laughs> it's just like we were 10 people at the time. Or like somebody gets upset about something, and I didn't realize that people are always upset about something. And so I'm panicking, and I didn't know how to just step away from the merry-go-round in my head or input and just take a walk and look outside and pray and invite God into everything that I was feeling and thinking. I didn't know how to breathe and to have God speak to me, his promises. 
and about how he sees my life is so much more clearly than I, and he's not stressed out about anything. And so for you, just where are the moments maybe where it's, you have a bunch of head knowledge up here, but right when you're overwhelmed, when you're anxious, when you're in pain, are you growing and being able to invite him into your life? Like in the now, it could be as simple as just texting somebody, hey, I'm feeling this, can you pray for me? Okay, so that, that's the second way we can miss Jesus is we can, we know a lot up here, we can tell other people how to have Christ meet them, but we have a hard time doing it ourselves, okay? So loving the experience of Jesus, not just Jesus himself. Um, and then also here, knowing how to, not knowing how to do it for ourselves. Number three, we can miss Jesus when we're distracted by other people, distracted by other people. And so here the disciples, they can't see Jesus clearly, but you know what probably was clear to them? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, the disciples were probably so clear and frustrated by their hypocrisy and lack of authenticity and how they were mistreating the people under their care but yet they can't see Jesus. So they're clear on who they don't want to be, but they're, not, they're still not clear on enjoying Christ and trusting Christ for themselves. And for us, what's so easy to do is take a, an institution or a person or a group and use them as a stand-in for the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and fixate on how much we don't want to be like them. So I can't stand those hypocritical single-issue voter evangelicals. I have a really hard time with progressive Christians who claim to be all about love but condemn those on the other side of social issues and don't seem to really follow the Bible that Jesus himself held so dearly. I can't stand this group of religious leaders who use their power to hide things in the church. Now, for you, if this issue of being hurt by people in the church isn't just in theory on social media, but you've been hurt in your experience in the church, just we do acknowledge that, I mean, church hurt, it is, it is one of the worst kinds of pain. And if this has happened to you, I'm so sorry. And G know that Jesus is far more upset about this than any of us. And at the same time, if I can carefully challenge you, a danger for you, whether this is deeply personal or you just generally get upset about, you know, people maybe in your job or online, is you get so tunnel visioned on who you don't want to be that there's no positive movement toward enjoying Jesus for yourself and staying connected to his people. Even, yes, that may mean you need to leave a church. Okay, but while we're often wounded in community, you can't have healing apart from community. And so for you, just a, a question to ask is, no matter what happens in the institution that is the church, and the church needs to own the areas where we've really done poorly, no matter what happens in the institution of the church, am I still moving toward knowing Christ and being connected to his people? Or am I just going to stay in a position of jadedness and cynicism? Okay, it's hard but there's, there's a way where we can miss Jesus. Number four, how do we miss Jesus? Is it happens when we hear or hear about or see the cross. Also, 
Well, right after this passage, and we're going to see it, um, uh, we have actually two weeks. We're not going to be in Matthew, but the following week we'll see this. Jesus takes his disciples to a mountain, and he asks them, okay, people are saying all kinds of stuff about who I am, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, wow, Peter, bingo. You, you got it. Like, yes, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus moves on to say, and as the Christ, I need to suffer and die for you, for my people. And Peter goes, uh, nope, nope. Like, that is not what the Christ is supposed to do. Because Peter, and we'll, we'll see this when we get to it, why he has such a problem with it. But Peter doesn't see that Jesus and his cross are necessarily connected. And, and they're also intertwined with Peter knowing God. And so a way we can miss Jesus as we look at the cross, it can happen for those who are exploring the faith and those of us who are Christians. So if you're exploring the faith, one way you can miss Jesus because of the cross is one, viewing it as some kind of tragic end to a kind teacher, or two, in general, it's somehow an act of love, maybe because he was non-retaliatory toward those who hated him. So like in general, it's this loving act that he does somehow. Okay, but it doesn't actually affect you personally. And if I can challenge you, a, a death is only loving if it protects you from something or if it helps you personally. So if I'm with a group of you after church and we're walking outside and traffic is zipping by, say on 50, and I go, I love you guys so much, and I jump into traffic and I die, your response is going to be, oh, how much he loved us. <laughs> No, that's not going to be, why? Because a, a, just a death in itself isn't loving. Now, if you fall into traffic, I run out, I throw you out, and I get hit in the process. Now, it's love. And so, the cross, and I just, I pray that the Holy Spirit reveals this to you. The cross, and we'll get to it more as we continue through Matthew. The cross is at its core loving, because it's through the cross that Jesus forgives you of sin and brings you into God's family. Okay, and so, so you can't, you're going to be separated from God if you, if you don't have the cross and cling to the cross. So that's how we can miss it. Just misinterpreting its purpose is how we can miss the cross. But number two is Christians. How can we miss Jesus through the cross? And there are a number of ways, but here's one way I've seen it play out in my own life and, and others as well is we look at the cross and we get this sense of, like, yes, we, we know he did it to forgive us of sin, bring us into his family, yada, yada, yada. But it's kind of like the cross was this awful thing that Jesus had to reluctantly do to get God to love me. As if Jesus is the reluctant older brother or sister who takes you to the party because he has to, but he nor the host really want you there. Because the cross did not happen to make you lovable. The cross happened because you're already loved. Was it an awful thing? Yes. Was it reluctant for Jesus to do? Absolutely not. He did it because God positively wants you, not the world in general, but you with your face and your body and your limits and, yes, even your sin patterns. And so the cross is all about God loving you. And so let's not miss the cross by thinking, okay, it's just 
dang it, he kind of hates me, but he's kind of got to do this to make me tolerable with him. Okay. So those are some ways we can miss Jesus. And so now let's look at, okay, what's, what's the point? And, like, what's the point of looking at the blindness of the Pharisees, looking at how we can miss Jesus? And so just consider the common denominator through the reasons why we can miss Jesus. Okay, needing, where we, so if I can frame them positively, wanting Jesus rather than just the experience of him, trusting him for ourselves, not just knowing how it applies to other people. Okay, focusing on Jesus, not twisted versions of Christianity. And then, God bringing us into his family, an incredible act of compassion. What is the common denominator in all of this? The common denominator is Jesus. It's Christ, meaning of all the benefits you get being a Christian, freed from shame and guilt, a new heart that can actually love God and people in new ways, a new earth where your mind and your body and and your relationships will be cleansed, of all these benefits, which are many, the chief end of everything that we're doing here is Jesus, period. It's being with him and becoming like him. And how this can play out in the ground is, so this past week I got lunch with one of my friends, and he's a pastor, and in his church are a number of affluent, very intelligent parents he has a lot of families in his church, and who love, they love the Lord. And what he and the church leaders have picked up on is it seems at times as if the chief concern amongst many families in the church for the parents is to get their children into the best school districts so their children can have, you know, uh, academic success and financial security and so forth. And is, is, is this an evil desire? Not necessarily. I mean, what parent to some degree does not want academic success and financial stability for their child? But where the leaders are having to challenge many of these parents is, as you seek these things for your kid, is, is your chief concern for your child that they know Jesus? As they age, will they know the truest thing about me? My deepest sense of self is I am God's beloved child. When pain and suffering comes in your child's life, which it will, no matter how much you try to keep it from happening, will they know how to cling to Jesus and his promises when it happens? Okay, will they grow to desire to be with Jesus and become like him and help others be with Jesus and become like him? And so for us, you know, we have parents in the congregation, and so we can apply that here, but more generally speaking, Often as we think about discipleship to Jesus and with everything else we do, it can take form in a, these questions can take form in, in a couple ways. One is just like, I really want to know God's will for my life. Okay, good question. Um, or it can be like more specific, like what job do I need to take or what specific person do I need to date and then marry or what decision do I need to make for my child. And what I've found helpful in light of this Christ being the point of everything we do is it's helpful to think about framing our very important decisions and the things we do and God's will for our life as directional, not a destination or a specific choice. And here's what I mean by this is with every decision you make, choosing a job, dating somebody, marrying somebody, uh, your habits in the morning, your habits in the evening, 
are these choices bringing you closer to Christ and becoming a person of love, or are they moving you further from Christ and becoming a person of love? And I mean, that, that's true for, you know, a, a lot of decisions you can make. And then decisions aside, as you think about just in the here and now, whether I'm in a great job or an awful job, whether I'm in an awesome marriage or really painful marriage, whether I hate this area or I love this area, just in the day-to-day, are my decisions bringing me closer to Christ and becoming a person of love or further away? So if you're a parent, yes, the decisions you make for your kids and their trajectory, they do matter. But is your is a greater concern becoming far more slow to anger and being incredibly gentle and helping them know Jesus? Single or married, great job or not so great job, are you learning to treat other people as Jesus sees them? And what happens is as you do this, when you frame your, because ultimately that, that, is, that is God's will. Okay? It's, it's not like there's this specific place I need to be careful here, but like in general, sometimes we get so fixated on like very kind of granular decisions in the long term that we miss the biggest point, which is Christ himself. And as you do this, what you'll find is you become a deeper person. And what I mean is, so I mentioned earlier my friend who I've shared a lot of life with. Like some, some of my best memories are with him. And the reason why they're such good memories, it's not that I was having a great experience and he just happened to be there. They were great experiences because I shared them with him, right? Shared joy is double the joy kind of thing. And we've also been in moments of heart-tearing pain. Like we've held each other as the person ugly cries. And I've been able to bear those moments because he's with me. And on a so much bigger scale, when you are with Christ and he with you, Jesus is so big as God, that all the the joy in the world can't contain him and can't be complete without him. And so when you're in a season of great joy, those seasons of, of joy are amplified because now it's just not these random material things that are happening, but you have the eyes to see the giver who's making these things possible. And in your lows and in your pain, Jesus, not just as God, but as fully human, he has experienced the deepest horrors that life can ever throw at a person and he came out the other side and so he can come alongside with you now having been through it so that these lows not just become more bearable but he sees you through and then you too can go out and do the same for others so let's know him and become like him together let's pray